Whiskey for the Ages is not sponsored or endorsed for any product or program mentioned in this show and receive no remuneration from their creators. Welcome to Whiskey for the Ages. I'm your host tonight, Hannah Dawson, and my dad, Brian, is here. Hello. And Alora is there. Hello, I have risen from the dead. Yes, Alora is back with us this week. We're very happy to have her. Uh, so for those of our listeners who may have not gotten around to listening to all of our season one yet of our podcast, having me at the helm may be a bit of a surprise. But for those of you who have been listening from the start, you may remember last season's Spotlight series. Our Spotlight mini-series commences with a discussion on proof, and we sit down with a few whiskeys fitting a certain proof profile. You may remember a couple of episodes ago, we highlighted a few bottled and bond whiskeys, as well as a 100 proof offering that had not been bonded. Well, we're going to carry on the Spotlight series this time around with a highlight on a particular distillery. Last season, I did an in-depth look at one of the biggest American distilleries, Heaven Hill. They have Elijah Craig under there, Larceny under there. This season, I'm gonna dig in again on a distillery. This one may be one that we may recognize perhaps a bit more readily. Like last season, I just wanna reiterate before we begin that while this is an in-depth look, it is by no means exhaustive. We'd be here all night if we were. So, guys, what distillery are we drinking from today? Yeah, I suppose it would be important to know. So, like I said, this time the distillery may be a bit more immediately recognizable, and it is Buffalo Trace. Well, that sounds a bit daunting. Ooh. Buffalo Trace, That's they've a big got, one. Yeah, they've got so many different products. You know, some of them are really sought after, hard to find. How are we gonna do this? I think one of the best ways to discuss the products of a distillery is to highlight what it means to be of that distillery. So in this case, what makes a Buffalo Trace product a Buffalo Trace product? Beyond, obviously, that it's made by Buffalo Trace. So does Buffalo Trace have its own unique funk? We talked last season about the Heaven Hill funk. And how does that Buffalo Trace funk get highlighted in the history of the distillery as well? So that's going to be our mission for today. That sounds cool. So what are we going to start with? What's our first drink? Like Dad mentioned, there are so many different Buffalo Trace products that we can choose from, and I can already hear an outcry from some listeners that maybe their favorite offering isn't included, but I'm here to tell you that from the start, already, settle down. We can always loop back in these Spotlight series eventually, but let me introduce you to the four stars who are going to be stealing the show today. First one up is going to be Buffalo Trace. 
This is our Idaho Private Select bourbon. Uh, this one came out in 2020. Correct. Yep, 2020. So this is a single barrel offering that was selected by our stores. It's one of our store picks. It is your run-of-the-mill Buffalo Trace product, however. Uh, we've also got some Weller Full Proof, some Sazerac Rye, and a Colonel E.H. Taylor Small Batch, which you may remember we actually used just a couple episodes in our spotlight on proof for that bottled and bond experience. That's right. I remember that. There's a little bit of mix here. We've got some unicorns and maybe some affordable finds. What are we going to sip first? Since the whole topic is going to be about Buffalo Trace Distillery, I do want to start this off with Buffalo Trace, our private select here. So it's a bit of a no-brainer. I'm gonna go over some vitals here. You guys just go ahead and nose and, and pick up whatever you're gonna pick up. Uh, so all of the region distiller, this is gonna be the same for all four of our offerings tonight. This all comes from Frankfort, Kentucky. Distiller, obviously, Buffalo Trace. This one here is a single barrel, Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Any other Buffalo Trace product that you find on the shelf is just going to be their Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, a blend of everything that is there. Buffalo Trace does not publish their mash bill. There's only suppositions of what is actually the recipe for all of these products. Uh, this one is assumed to be their low rye mash bill, so meaning less than 10% rye. Barrel char on this one is going to be three. This particular barrel is number 242, and like I mentioned, this is a 2020 offering. Our barrel entry proof is 125. There is no age statement, and our ABV on this one is 45%, so 90 proof. Price, this one, uh, like Dad mentioned, we do have a couple really nice affordable ones here that should be readily available in your store as well, crossing fingers. This one does sit at just a bit under $30. And even our private select here that we have, this is this, we got it for the same price that we would get for our standard Buffalo Trace. No extra pay for it being a private select. So Hannah noted that this is a private select. So the state of Idaho, we're a, an ABC state, the state has purchased barrels occasionally from multiple different distilleries. This one came from Buffalo Trace. It is a private select, meaning that nobody else in the, in the United States gets this barrel. Yet, I will tell you, this product, Buffalo Trace, it's very similar. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really matter that this is a private select. A person could go out and I understand it's a little harder to find across the country in some places. You shouldn't be paying much over 25. If you're paying 30, you're, you're at the max of what it's worth. But it's a good bourbon. It is, and we're going to definitely get into that. Before we do go further into the taste and finish of this one, though, I am curious to see what you guys are finding on the nose for the aromas. Definitely, I could tell that this is a buffalo trace. Usually I'm not able to tell brands of bourbons. I'm just not, haven't gotten down into that nitty gritty yet. I know for a fact that Buffalo Trace has cherry and that is very much initially what I got. And I kind of struggled to find anything else other than cherry. I'd say like if I were to narrow down what kind it was, 
probably maraschino or black cherry mm -hmm. is not too bright of a flavor. I would agree. For sure, this is Buffalo Trace. You talk about a, a distillery funk. Buffalo Trace typically is a fruity product mm -hmm. and really heavy on the cherry. Uh, not so much on the wood, although there is a little bit of wood back on this, but not tremendous. It's more fruity than it is sugary. Yep. You get yeah, that. You get I, that. I would, I would agree with that. Yeah, you get that cherry element. Uh, you also get vanilla and a lot of Buffalo Trace products too. I find a little bit of caramel mm -hmm. as well. Very true. So yeah. let's let's dig into the history a little bit of this distillery. Buffalo Trace Distillery does not actually start out being called Buffalo Trace Distillery. It takes a long time for that name to actually come into fruition and attachment to what's going on here. Our location has always been in or around Frankfort, Kentucky. This all started, okay, in 1771. So let's just immediately recognize that Buffalo Trace Distillery in whatever shape or form that it's been is one of our oldest distilleries here in America. It's as old as the country itself in a lot of ways. So this starts out in 1771. A guy named Daniel Boone. I know him. <laughs> he is walking along what is called the Buffalo Trace. Now I had to look up what that meant. Uh, because it was very clearly labeled the Buffalo Trace. The Buffalo Trace is actually a trackway that bison would use to migrate along. All the way from the upper Midwest, all the way down into Kentucky. Million plus bison every year making this trackway, making this trace. Crossing several different states, Illinois, Indiana, Obviously, Dakotas? Kentucky. No, not the Dakotas. So there's really? no, yeah, there's there's no bison in that part of the country anymore. Not anymore. Uh, but I probably failed a geography exam at one point. That's okay. <laughs> but well, you got to keep in mind that at one point or another, Kentucky, the Midwest, that was the Western frontier and nothing had ever been explored beyond that at that point. So the more specific location of this is called Lee's Town. It's just north of Frankfurt, established by Hancock Taylor and Willis Lee. Oh. Taylor should be a familiar name. I will yeah. tell you that in the research of all of this, you could essentially play bingo with bourbon names. And every name of a person you'd recognize somewhere or other it's going to land on a buffalo trace board so taylor we got it willis lee i could not find That's it was cool. any relation to elmer t lee but we will talk about him in a bit 1792 we're fast forwarding a little bit commodore richard taylor he builds a one-story house on the property and he calls it the old taylor house this building actually still stands today which i think is pretty cool 1811 we're fast forwarding again we have a neighboring farm in riverside and it builds a three-story stone house and it's meant to store goods including whiskey that is being shipped as far south down as to new orleans so there's been a long history in this particular location of whiskey moving whiskey storage whiskey's been a part of this land for a long time in 1858, we've got a guy named Daniel Swigert 
who is developing a distillery using Riverside, that farmland with that three-story building. In 1870, we have Colonel Edmund Haynes Taylor Jr. That name should be a very big name. E.H. E.H. Taylor, yep. Colonel E.H. Taylor Jr. He buys the distillery and he calls it the OFC. This is for old-fashioned copper. Taylor believed that whiskey produced from wood fire copper stills just created a superior product. And OFC still kind of stands in its own legacy way within the distillery today. 1872, Taylor builds a whole new distillery on the site for $70,000 in that time's money. Uh, after you convert it using today's inflation, he essentially paid out $1.765 million in order to build this new distillery on the site. It was meant to have all of the best fixings and all that good stuff. What a bargain. What a bargain. I mean, I, yeah, I saw that too and I thought, okay, yeah. even with the inflation, that's dirt cheap. Yep. That is dirt cheap. Actually, yeah, it doesn't seem like a lot. It doesn't. Like, I thought you were going to say a billion dollars. Right. <laughs> I thought you were going to move that up to billion and I was right. like, oh, a million, that's not much. It's really that's not. Well. It's really not. <laughs> So 1878 rolls around and a guy by the name of George T. Stagg. Bingo. Bingo. We've got another bingo. He buys the distillery and he renames it George T. Stagg Distillery. Taylor still has the overseeing rights though. Okay. He's still our master distiller. He's still in charge of everything that's going on. A couple years later, warehouses A and B are built. These warehouses still stand today and are still in use. Uh, to age the product of Buffalo Trace, which is Those amazing. Those are red clay brick buildings. There we go. Buffalo Trace does have wow. so many different brick house types from brick to clay to, to metal to wood. They've got quite the variety. 1882, so just one year after those warehouses are built, there is a great fire and it damages a bunch of the distillery, but everything is rebuilt almost immediately and it's rebuilt even better. Construction finished with all of that in 1883 and it included a new mashing and fermenting wing. This is now called the Dickel Building. Interesting. George Dickel. <laughs> Despite that being a Tennessee whiskey. So in 1885, Warehouse C is built. This may even also be on your bingo board. Taylor's vision for, quote, the model distillery plant of the world. This is meant to be the crown jewel. Warehouse C is also a very renowned distillery, particularly for E.H. Taylor products. 1886, so we've noticed like in the 1800s, especially the latter half of the 1800s, everything is moving right along for, at this time, George T. Stagg Distillery. 1886, there's a new technology that goes into place that's meant to introduce steam into the aging process. This steam is used primarily during the winter time to prevent the cold from stunting the aging process too much. It's the first distillery to use this process, to use this technique, and much like a lot of the things I've already mentioned, it's also still in use today. Quick question about that. Uh, does it have any effect on flavor if you use steam? Well, I would have to assume so because it prevents the whiskey from coming 
too far out of the wood because during the winter time everything contracts inward and that's when you're pulling everything out but if you're using steam and keeping a humid climate in those rick houses then your whiskey probably isn't going to move as much out of the barrel and is going to get more soaking time in that wood and being that they're brick buildings they're able to regulate the temperatures quite a bit more yeah it doesn't oh, yeah. get quite as cold in the winter and probably doesn't get quite as hot in the summer right they try to mediate it that that makes sense like homeostasis so then 1897 rolls around. Uh, you may remember it a couple of episodes ago with the bottled and bond that this is when that act finally got put into place thanks to Colonel E.H. Taylor. But that year was significant for another reason. We've got a guy by the name of Albert B. Blanton. Bingo again. He joins the distillery. <laughs> he joins the <laughs> distillery at the age of 16. So remember, it's still called George T. Stagg Distillery. Uh, the guy who interviewed and eventually hired him was Colonel Taylor, and he actually had a lot of doubts about hiring Blanton on, but went ahead and did. And thank goodness for that. Blanton would eventually become the president of the distillery and he'd ultimately be responsible for keeping the distillery alive and productive during the prohibition. Whoa. Major kudos to hiring a guy named Blanton. Blanton is also the dude that everybody knows who's got that one bottle of bourbon that has that horse on it. You'll notice that one's not sitting among our little collection of samples today. We'll talk about why. People credit Blanton with the single barrel creation. He did use single barrels primarily for his private collection though. He never did any retail sales with any single barrel. He'd keep them for his private collection for entertaining, uh, but this was a big thing that he believed in and it wasn't until way later after he'd passed that Blanton's single barrel actually became a product that would go on the shelf. So first notion of a single barrel often does get credited to Mr. Blanton. So before I go further though, we've spent a little bit of time here sipping this one. What what do we think about our standard Buffalo Trace, our private select, but it's certainly not bad. Like I I'd be happy paying $25, dollars for it. I'd be happy to put it on my shelf. I get a lot of the cherry. I actually do get a lot of wood. I know Dad, you said that Buffalo Trace doesn't really have a whole lot this that's on the nose there is definitely wood here yeah and i think it's like an oak or, or cedar or something um another thing that i was worth noting is how fresh it is mm. like it's really refreshing like if you were to drink like a really ice cold water on a really hot summer day it's like yes that's interesting, interesting. water not lemonade because lemonade just kind of glues everything together now this is very clearing this is very cleansing so for me this is really peppery peppery in the sense that it complements the wood and ties the cherry to the wood almost peppered cherry mm -hmm. if there is such a thing <laughs> and i really like that i i like the the 
the prickly heat that you get on the back yeah. of the tongue. Yeah, for a 90 proof, this does actually have a bit more bite than I think you'd expect for it to have, which is pretty cool. I like, Alora, what you said about it being something that you could have on a summer's day. Uh, for those of you who go onto our website and read all of our reviews, if you look at, I don't have a review specific to this private select. I do have a review for your standard Buffalo Trace. The photo that I use for my setting on there is a swimming pool. Like <laughs> middle of summer swimming pool kind of thing. So it's interesting that you bring that up. It's refreshing. Sure. Very refreshing. It really is. And like just really fresh water. Yeah. Fresh water. <laughs> I know I can get kind of odd with my descriptions of flavors because I like getting really really down in the depths of it but yeah yeah it's fun it is it is so i do want to get into our second pour now this is our weller full proof i'll let you guys nose it for a little bit I'll, I'll tell you some of what's going on with this one again everything is in frankfurt kentucky this one is a bit different this is a weeded bourbon okay so Almost all of the products that Buffalo Trace puts out are your standard rye bourbons. So after that minimum 51% corn, the secondary ingredient is almost always rye. In Weller's case, in all of Weller products cases, our secondary ingredient is wheat instead. This is meant to promote a softer flavor, a softer tone, a bit less of that spicy pepperiness that Dad mentioned a moment ago. Mash bill, um, again, B Buffalo Trace keeps a lid on all of its recipes. We do have a bit of an estimation of what we think is going on here though, with about 70% corn, 14 to 16% wheat, and then 14 to 16% malted barley. So eventually it'll all add up to 100%. We just don't exactly know how. Barrel entry proof on this one is 114. So that also means since this is a full proof that the product in the glass is also 114 proof, also 57% ABV if you want to go by that. We have another no age statement on this one. We do jump up in price just a little bit. We're sitting at about 50 bucks on this one over here in Idaho. Still pretty darn reasonable if I do say so myself. So that let me interject here. We're gonna get some people across the country saying, yeah, you're paying 50 bucks. <laughs> we know that many people across the country are paying double, triple, or even quadruple that price. It's not unheard of that some people are paying $200 for this bottle. No. MSRP no. from Buffalo Trace is $49.95. Here in Idaho, where we live, we pay $49.95. That's what it was in, in the spring of, of uh, 2021, and frankly, it's still $49.95. So just be, be aware that when you're thinking about paying for this, pay whatever you want to pay. Pay what you can afford, but know that Buffalo Trace values this bourbon at 50 bucks or thereabouts, 50 to 60 is fair. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Buffalo Trace products, like we mentioned at the top of the show, a lot of their products are very sought after. So you'll see a lot of 
higher prices for a lot of their products. Weller definitely falling into that realm very, very easily. And it's not easy to find. No, just, this one, this one especially is not easy to find. Over here in Idaho, we can fairly regularly get our hands on Weller Antique, uh, which is their 107 proof. The Weller Full Proof, the uh, Weller Single Barrel, and the Weller 12 Year, those ones, and th those ones are much harder to find. Yeah, two, three times so, a year, they become available. Mm -hmm. So the demand is much higher than the supply then. Oh, much why, higher. Much, and much that's higher. why the prices are jacked up to where they are. Okay. Yeah, across, um, across the country anyway. So, but what do you guys think of the aroma on this one? It's certainly more mellow than the single barrel. It's a lot more mellow. I do get a bit of wheat. Like, he kept saying wheat, and I was like, all right, well, where's the bread? Where's the bread element? And I could get that. Another one I got, not burnt, not burnt, but melted marshmallows. Just a subtle, sugary flavor, just soft melt. I get I that. It's, yeah. it's creamy, yeah. sugary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's nice. It's it's nice. 50 bucks seems... You gotta understand I'm a college student, so everything's gonna seem like really, really expensive. <laughs> Perhaps for me, there's a better smelling bourbon that's worth that. I don't know. Let's put it into Can't a little remember. bit of perspective for you, though. One of your favorites is an old Forester product, whether it's a 1910 or a 1920. Both of those are 60 plus dollars. And I pay 60 plus dollars so for the question is gonna, how good they are. Yeah, so the question is going to be if this one meets a $50 mark. So let's continue down a little bit on our history. I kind of like to think of the 1800s of the start of the Buffalo Trace distillery as being almost almost accidental like we've got a couple guys they set up shop on a farm whoa we've got a house that gets built a little bit down the way that's storing bourbon okay we've got someone who's just we're moving it we're moving it along and all of a sudden it just sort of falls into the lap we're making whiskey we're making bourbon the 1900s Conversely, they're established at this point. However, the 1900s I consider to be a much more a time of trial for Buffalo Trace and a lot of things going on that are trying to influence the whiskey market. The first being something we're all very, very familiar with, the prohibition. This came in 1919 with the 18th Amendment. It gets passed. The Volstead Act comes in to reinforce it and to enforce it uh, as a law. So again, remember, we're still George T. Stagg Distillery. It had even been rechristened as such back in 1904. Very fond of the name. George T. Stagg Distillery is one of the very few distilleries that is allowed to continue making new product and is able to sell its product under the guise that it is medicinal. This is really the only way that any of those distilleries from the Prohibition era were able to stay in the whiskey market. There were only a couple other ones that were able to do so. Brown Foreman being one of them, like we've got that 1920 Prohibition style. 
Albert Blanton, uh, like I mentioned a little bit earlier. So Albert became the president of the distillery in 1921 and retained it when the distillery is bought in 1929 by Chenley Distillers Corporation. He is very much responsible all throughout this period of keeping the distillery in business. And I don't want to deviate too much, but I do want to mention a little bit about uh, Shenley Distillers. This was a business that came into being in the 1920s. Its headquarters was in New York City, in the Empire State Building, actually, which is pretty impressive. Their distillery was located in Lawrenceburg, Indiana. That may be a location that some of us are familiar with. Yeah. Business for Shenley, they owned a medicinal liquor license. Business really had its heyday mostly in the 1930s and the 1940s after Prohibition. And they still had a couple of existing brands that have lasted until today even uh, under its belt, like Cream of Kentucky and James E. Pepper, neither of which are housed under the Buffalo Trace line. They are the Lawrenceburg, Indiana products with MGP, but still pretty cool that they get to carry on in their own way. Shenley eventually sold what would become Buffalo Trace Distillery in 1968 to a financier. 1933, Prohibition is over, hooray, yep, we made it, we survived, uh, but barely though. So only four distilleries had been able to produce product in Kentucky. So we really, really had the noose tighten around bourbon at that time. The owners at that time, Shenley, they take this opportunity to expand, particularly in 1935 through 1937. They build a whole bunch of new distilleries on the line, a whole bunch of new rickhouses. And then of course, everything has to get crushed again. We just get out of the prohibition, something else has to happen. 1937, we're barely out of the prohibition era. The Great Flood happens. This is also known as the Ohio River Flood. This was a flood that had damaged so much of the Midwest, the Northeast, all the way down to Kentucky. Absolutely huge. It killed nearly 400 people and left another 1 million Americans homeless wow. with, with over the equivalent today of $10 billion in damage. That's incredible. That's, I didn't know anything about that. that it's... I, I, yeah, I've, I've never heard about that. So, like I mentioned, this got all the way down into Kentucky. So, at our distillery here, the water went over, you're never going to believe this, went over 17 feet higher than the power plant over there, okay? It went four feet over Warehouse H, which was the distillery's first metal rickhouse and it had been constructed just two years earlier in 1935. So boom, this thing's aging stuff, and boom, we've got a flood rolling literally right over the top of it. So how tall are those buildings then? Really varies. I don't know how tall Rickhouse or Warehouse H is, but they're- I believe Warehouse H is three stories. Holy That's a crap. lot of water. It's a lot of water. Yeah, I just didn't know, like, if we're talking, like, one story, like, 
oh, you say four feet higher than 20 feet, let's say a, a building's 20 feet. Look, okay, that's a lot of water, but five stories, okay, that's, a, that's Keep more than a lot of water. Keep in mind they would put these warehouses close to the river so they have transportation uh -huh. downstream. Yeah, and, and that makes sense because so many civilizations are surrounded by rivers. Yeah. Like the and Indus River civilization, the Mesopotamia, all rivers. Yeah. Nile River, Egypt. Yeah. You put your crops there. Well, and not only that, but we got to keep in mind that for bourbon and Kentucky bourbon especially, the limestone water is such a critical, critical component of what makes the bourbon. So having ready access to that water that is, is fundamentally important. But in any case, Blanton, again, he's just gotten the distillery through prohibition. Uh, now he has his work cut out for him again on how to get this up and rolling. He actually gets the distillery going 24 hours later after no the waters have moved out. Absolutely crazy. It, to me, it harkens very much back to what we talked about last season with Heaven Hill Distillery and the great fire that had taken out so much of their product and the resiliency of the distillery and all of the neighboring distilleries to chip in and get it back up on its feet so quick. It's the same thing here. There's so much passion for the craft that natural disaster, water or fire, literally is not gonna stop the passion of, of, of American whiskey, of, of bourbon from coming through, which I find really incredible. So we make it through the Great Flood, 1942 rolls around. We've got bottle number one million coming out of George T. Stagg Distillery. And it's only a few years later in 1949 where a guy named Elmer T. Lee, bingo, joins the distillery. Elmer T. is hired by Blanton, who had been hired by Taylor. Uh, he also almost did not make the cut. Elmer Teeley, he started as a maintenance engineer. He had been in World War II. Uh, he had a degree in engineering. He managed to work his way all the way up to master distiller. And he's actually the one who's responsible for that big horse in the room, Blanton's single barrel. Under Blanton's tutelage and knowing how much Blanton liked his private stocks, of single barrel offerings. 1984, Elmer T. Lee is the one who's responsible for Blanton's single barrel to come out onto the shelves, which is obviously one of the most successful bourbons in the history of bourbon, for sure. So a little side story there. In 1984, bourbon was at a very low point. Yeah. People yeah. just didn't want to mm -hmm. buy it at all. Because and it was their parents' whiskey. Exactly. It was their parents' alcohol. Yeah. Exactly. So what happened was, Elmer T. decided, you know what? We're going to stick our necks way out. We are going to bottle a single barrel whiskey. And we're going to charge more for it than any other whiskey on the market. People had to say, well, why are we buying this whiskey at this price? It had to be good. 
my guess is it's probably as good or better than anything that's out there today. Yeah. Because he was hand selecting the honey barrels, those barrels that were placed without the, throughout the rickhouse in certain places that were just great. They produced great product. Mm -hmm. And he'd learned all that from Mr. Blanton himself. Yep. And it was later that mm. Elmer T. would also get his own single barrel line. We've got Elmer T. Lee single barrel as uh, another offering from the Buffalo Trace line. In any case, I'm sure, you know, you're still probably sitting there and fuming a little bit about why we may not have Blantons here with us today. That's fine. I know it is arguably one of the most famous offerings from the distillery, maybe one of the most famous offerings in bourbon right now, period. To that I say though, don't limit yourself. Don't be afraid to reach for something other than that unicorn that's missing a horn, okay? Like I, Blanton's is a great product. A lot of the products from Buffalo Trace are great products. I think honestly, Buffalo Trace is my favorite distillery because I'm such a fruit lover for my bourbons. I can tell you as a liquor store employee, once upon a time, the demand for Blanton's is intense. <laughs> And so many other really great products are skipped over, both within the Buffalo Trace line and outside of it. So don't be afraid to reach for other things. There's lots of things out there, but I get it. Blanton's is a big deal. Anyway, that's my little tangent there. Maybe we'll return to it later. Who knows? I thought it was kind of similar. Like you were saying, you were saying we're gonna jack up the price so it must be good. It must be good if we're paying such a high price. And I thought that that was similar to what is happening today. It's like, well, you jacked up the price. It must be that good. I thought it was a very similar story. So it's I wonder completely if it different. And the reason why I say it's completely different, Elmer T. Lee jacked up the price to add value to it. Yeah. He jacked it up at the, at the MSRP level. Today's inflated price is done on secondary markets. The, okay. the distillery still values Blanton's at about $60 a bottle. Mm -hmm. That's what they think it's worth. But businesses that are charging $200, $300, we live in a market society, capitalism. You know, they're going to yeah. get whatever they're going to get it still does not make this a $200 bottle. But to maybe, maybe to someone it is. Exactly. And you know what? And if who you, are we yeah. to, to say you can't buy it at that price? You know, I, it's not our money. It, it, yeah, yeah. Like That's if my, if my, name, if my name was Blanton, I'd pay $200 for it. Cause of course I would. My name's not Blanton though, but it can vary between, <laughs> from person to person. Anyway, getting back to a little bit to our timeline here, we've got Elmer T in, he is master distiller now, 1992 rolls around, we're getting close to me being born, <laughs> Sazerac buys the company, Sazerac is a huge business, okay, and, and, and the business actually gets to go back to being family owned which is pretty cool. Sazerac on its own has such a huge history. I learned a little bit about it. It went back to the 1800s as well. 
had been part of actually a coffee shop kind of revolution with, with its cocktail. And the Sazerac, prior to the rye being a thing, had been a replacement for French brandies. And wow. it was something that Sazerac as a company took and, and turned into something American. So Sazerac, like Buffalo Trace Distillery, has a very deeply steeped history in America and, and its roots. I think that if anybody's gonna buy what will become Buffalo Trace Distillery, I think it's pretty cool that it's another company with that kind of history and lineage. 1999. <laughs> Laura's born. I've been born. Uh, 1999 <laughs> comes around. So now business is finally rechristened as Buffalo Trace Distillery. The Buffalo has landed. We are here. With the 1999 rechristening, we now have the Buffalo Trace product launched. And along with a bunch of distillery renovations as well. And of course, it would take over very much like a stampede, pun intended, over all of the bourbon market. And even across the world too, Buffalo Trace products are a very big deal in many different places of the world. So we have landed. We've been enjoying this Weller foolproof. What are your guys' thoughts on it? Well, here's my thought. This is creamy. Mm -hmm. I get the wheat. Mm -hmm. The fruit is there. It's sweeter. There's wood in its foundation. In fact, I can taste a char to this. Mm -hmm. This is considerably more more bourbon-esque. Yeah, well. yeah. There, there's a complexity here. Yes. I like it better than the regular Buffalo Trace. Yeah. And for me, $50 is a no-brainer. Yeah, it's a steal all day. What about you, Alora? Did it convince you that it's worth 50 bucks? At first, no. <laughs> and this is kind of like the programming sort of thing that I discussed a couple of episodes ago. We had a very, very fresh bourbon on top. I'm not faulting the order at all. I'm just saying what I'm trying to get down into is what I enjoy this today. What I enjoy this today in November. What I enjoy this right now. Probably I'd want something a little bit more refreshing. However, as soon as you started to say all of those flavors Dad, I was like, oh yeah, this is totally worth a steal. So that is a very, very huge thing in tasting anything is listening to other people because they can persuade you into what you're getting. So power of power of words and taste. But yeah, I, I do like it. I do enjoy it. Perhaps on an X day I would say yeah I'd be willing to spend fifty dollars for it but on a day like today for no reason I would say no not worth it. <laughs> I think it's interesting that you mention would I like this today on a day in November. For me I probably enjoy Weller products as a whole 
more often in the winter than I do any other time of year. That could very well be because of my bourbon upbringing and bias. Weller Antique, we've said it so many times on the show, I'll probably never shut up about it, was the <laughs> bourbon that caught my attention first as being something really, really special. And it was on a Christmas that it caught my attention in that way. So every winter, every holiday season, Weller is one of those ones that I want to reach to because it's soft, because it's like I'm bundled up warm at night. It's, it's not going to punch me. Everything that's super high proof or spicy, I like those in the summertime. They're really, they're really lively. But a Weller is just nice in the winter. It's homey. It's comforting. It's soft. It's fruity. It's everything I could want. But that's that's just me going off on my little. It's an old friend. It's an old friend. All Wellers are my friends. All Wellers are my friends. And perhaps on Christmas when I'm home, I'll have that and I'll be like, this is the greatest thing. Yeah. To enjoy that. I, I think I think there's some bias with me too over here. It's, you know, I'm here with you guys, but I'm not there mm -hmm. with you guys. Mm -hmm. it, there, There is that sort of bias. It's so interesting, bias and taste in bourbon. It is a weird weird phenomenon that goes on but seriously if you're with people that you care about then no matter what you're eating or drinking you're gonna enjoy it more yeah it comes down to the social nature of humans even though i'm a very introverted person but no it, it means that emotion ties in with what you're eating or what you're drinking and how much you like it or how much you dislike it. Yeah, so. and that's that the Weller imprint has definitely been left on me. There are other things within the Buffalo Trace Distillery that have certainly left their imprint on me. The next one we're going to go to is the Sazerac Rye. So we are switching gears hard. The first two were our bourbons. Um, our last one is also going to be a bourbon, uh, but that first one was a rye bourbon. We had a weeded bourbon. Now we're jumping all the way to rye. We are on the other side of that seesaw. A little bit about this one. As a rye, the required mash bill means that 51% minimum has to be rye. The rest of it is undisclosed. This is Buffalo Trace again. They don't, they don't disclose that. Our barrel char on this one is number four. So this is our highest level char. We have an unpublished barrel entry proof. No age statement again. This one is a bit like our original Buffalo Trace that we started with at 90 proof, so 45% ABV. Also pretty similar in our price point, sitting at about $30 uh, USD. So what do we think about the aroma here of, of Sazerac? We are really switching gears here. I wanted to disrupt the flow of bourbon a bit. This is very mellow. This is very, very, very mellow. Quick, quick question for you, Hannah. Do you like rye in winter as well? You know, I think rye I enjoy virtually at any time of year. Perhaps as a whole, 
Yes, I would say I have more of them during the winter. I don't know if that's so much a conscious choice as it is me just reflecting on a mental tally mark of when I usually have rise. I mean, the, the High West has that midwinter night stram, which is a rye. Such a clever name. A very clever name. There's already kind of that precedent that a rye is nice in the winter time. Ryes are much sharper than bourbons. I think they're spicier. There's more yeah. spice elements. Yeah. And winter is known for its spices. Yeah. You, so, get, you get the cloves, you get yeah. you, you get the gingers, you get the nutmegs. Yeah. So would you say that rye is a fall drink or a winter drink? I would say sooner that it's a winter slash spring drink. It's also oh. fresh. Yeah, because it's so fresh. It's it's a very new taste that you get. And I don't mean like, oh, I've never had that before. I mean, this is, uh, rye to me are like lambs just learning to stand up. It's really ridiculous looking. <laughs> They're doing their best, but oh my gosh, is it one of the most wonderful things to witness. And you're so happy that you got to have that moment, that experience. That's a ride to me. Winter <laughs> is cold. It's cutting everything new. Spring is the actual newness being reborn. I like rise for that time, but I'll have them all year round. What about the smell for you, dad? It's subtle. Yet, it, I get those spices that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. The nutmegs, the cloves. You don't generally get that out of a bourbon. Mm -hmm. Whereas, it's there in the rye. Mm -hmm. I don't really get the, the cherries. Yeah, the cherries are much more minimal here. There is the some wood here. It's, I don't know that I would say it's a bold smell. No. But it... But it just is a is a comforting. Yeah. It's more comforting. Yeah. Anyway. So that's kind of all of the history of the distillery up until the new millennium. I do want to talk a little bit about some of the other brands that fall under the Buffalo Trace umbrella, along with a few of the innovations that is so paramount to Buffalo Trace Distillery. We just finished up that Weller Foolproof. Weller products actually came into the Buffalo line in the same year that Buffalo Trace Distillery had been christened as such, so 1999. Originally, all of those Weller products had been housed under the Steisel Weller Company, who had also had Julian Pappy Van Winkle, bingo again, originally within the line, Julian Pappy Van Winkle had been hired by the Wellers. They were a whole family back in 1893. So another line that's very, very deep within the history of our bourbon heritage here. The proper start of the Stizel Weller Company though had been even further back prior to, to Van Winkle joining in. It had been in about 1849. Weller gets to come in to the Buffalo family 1999, so about 150 years later, uh, which is pretty incredible. 2013, uh, Warehouse X 
is opened up. Sounds so mysterious. This they label as the first experimental warehouse in the world. I question that slightly because scotch by definition is very experimental. So uh, I, I kind of wonder about that, but that is what Buffalo Trace say about themselves. 2016, there was the discovery of the OFC distillery. Remember, this is what Taylor himself had originally christened distillery as OFC. They call it the Pompeii. <laughs> it's, it's like a Pompeii. It's, it's, you see it how it was, which is pretty cool. And it had left such, yeah, and it left such a mark on everything that they actually launched the first release of the OFC vintage bourbon just one year later in 2017. Uh, like I mentioned, there are quite a few other very big products that are nested under the Buffalo line. Eagle Rare being a very big one. Eagle Rare, everybody kind of considers as the standard Buffalo Trace's older brother. Price is usually less than $10 more expensive than your standard Buffalo Trace. Age is a bit more. Um, They've stopped saying that it's 10 years old, but Eagle Rare 10 year has kind of always been what it's referred to as. That one is a phenomenal bottle. I'd argue it's one of the best value bourbons that you can get on the market anywhere. We've talked pretty extensively about Blanton Single Barrel, also Elmer T Single Barrel. We've got the Pappy line, like I mentioned, so that kind of had been originally nested under with the Weller products. Pappy line has definitely taken the world by storm in the demand and certainly in the age of the products that are released. There's the old Rip Van Winkle, that's their youngest one at 10 years. And they go all the way up to a 23 year old. Secondary market for those you can imagine are very intense. And ridiculous. Intense and ridiculous. Intense and ridiculous. We actually took an old Rip Van Winkle up with us when we moved Alora to her new residence where she's going to school. Um, and yeah, uh I remember now. Got to did we finish that whole bottle yes. in that one night? We christened the apartment with an old Rip Van Winkle. Yep. 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 Part of our, our reasoning for that, and we've went, we've mentioned this on the podcast many times too, we've all, the three of us here, we, we've seen the documentary Neat. It had a very large impact on all of us. One of the primary figures in that documentary was actually from Buffalo Trace yep. himself. Freddie Johnson. Freddie Johnson. Mm -hmm. And one of the most pivotal, and I do mean pivotal things that that he had said was, you know, bourbon is meant to be enjoyed and sometimes when you open a bottle with a group of people, you just don't know when you're gonna get to have that experience again and it's important to live that up to the absolute yeah. fullest. So we brought one of our best bottles up there and drank the whole thing with Alora. Only a couple years prior to that, we had, were fortunate enough to have another one of those bottles with us when uh, we laid my grandfather to rest over in Wisconsin. The celebration of life party afterwards over at the family cottage. 
had so many people crammed in such a tiny, 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 tiny space uh, in the kitchen. And we finished that bottle. You know, I think all of us really only had a couple sips out of it at the end, but it was such a really incredible moment. But everybody who wanted some got some. Everybody who wanted some got yeah. some, absolutely. So we've got Pappy to thank for that, for sure. Another one we're going to be talking about here in a little bit, in a moment really, is the E.H. Taylor. We've highlighted before the small batch. We did that during our Bottled in Bond episode a couple weeks ago. But there are other ones that fall within the Taylor line, the single barrel, the barrel proof. We actually had one of those as our listeners pick last season. Who else am I forgetting? There's a, an amaranth. There's a warehouse C, a warehouse C which we talked about earlier. Uh, Stag Jr. is also a very big one. Now, of course, it's called Stag. Off mm -hmm. of, you know, we've got our George T. Stag, and then there actually is the George T. Stag bourbon. Um, and then there's a bunch of vintage collections as well. So we have uh, the horse in the room. Yeah, the Blantons. We've the, talked about him a little bit, the, yeah. the, or talked about that, that bottle a little bit. I have a love-hate relationship with Blantons. Blantons is an unusual bottle. Just from the very look of it, it's unusual. It looks like a barrel. Mm -hmm. Some people say it looks like a hand grenade. <laughs> Big bottle, it's round in shape, and it's got a horse on the top of it. Now, those who don't know, and most everybody who's probably on this podcast do know, the horse has different positions. Yeah. So you can collect the bottle covers or the caps the or the corks. Mm -hmm. There's a B. A shape of a B. Yep. Yep. There's a shape of an L and so on. So the letters of Blanton spell out the horses. And you can actually see the horse move as if it's racing. So each one has a different position of the legs of the horse, the jockey the rider, on, yeah. uh, on the top. That's actually really cool. Yeah. So people collect those. And then, of course, if you collect them and you can send them back to Buffalo Trace, they'll send you a, a stave to, to put them in. I mean, it's just a collector thing. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't make the, the juice inside the bottle better. It's a, it's a pure judging the book by its cover sort of deal. Yeah. It very much is. Yeah. But at the same time i remember several years ago we were introducing a family friend to bourbon she never had bourbon before or at least not in a non-drinking to get drunk manner university days university days we've all been there we've all been there dad and i have been trying to figure out okay what are we going to use to introduce her to this world and I pulled down a Blanton's because the bottle is so unique. It's a beautiful bottle that cannot be argued. It's a beautiful bottle. There's history in that bottle. There's aesthetic appeal in that bottle. And you can talk about what single barrel actually means with that bottle. So there's a lot of major tick marks that you can hit. Yeah, there's a with story. The there's a story that comes with that bottle and it's so obvious 
when you buy that bottle. You know, it'll come in the box and then you pull it out and it's in a bag and you're just, wow. Of course, when we introduced that to her, Blanton's was still readily available on the shelf and you could go anywhere, anywhere, find it and grab it. At the time, I also had Taylor single barrel regularly on my counter and uh, at a small, yeah, the small batch, I would have basically the whole lineup of, of Buffalo Trace products at home um, that I would get to enjoy whenever I wanted to. So nowadays it's a very different story though. With very how, hard to find. With the people who go after Blanton's, with the people who want to enjoy Blanton's because that's their bourbon of choice and and totally fair. Blanton's is a good bourbon. I love, I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll see it. I think my rating for it is like a 92, maybe a 93. In any case, I know it's not below 90. It's, it's ranked very highly for me. It's a cherry bomb. I love that. The reputation of it though, in our, in our world has, shifted dramatically since I wrote that review though and that's what I probably lament the most because it's no longer a little secret that we all get to know something or other about it's no longer a historical talking piece it's a commodity it's a commodity and I don't like it when bourbon becomes a commodity that's true that's so music true. is like that as well. When music is just produced uh -huh. to get the most amount of money, there's no quality uh -huh. behind it, or at least rarely there is. Uh -huh. Once an expression of humanity becomes a commodity, then it's just muted in value. Yeah. So true. Even when, down on t-shirt. Yeah, even yeah. when the product is good because Blanton's hasn't changed. I mean, yeah, sure, every iteration that you're going to get is going to be from a different barrel. But the product is still really good. It's just the meaning of it that has hurt the emotional value of it for me. And maybe I'm being too emotional. What troubles me the most is when somebody buys... Blanton's at $200 and then they think it's going to be the end-all bourbon. It's not. It's a $60, $65 bottle of bourbon. And it's a great value at that price. I just, I just find it hard to believe that someone's going to overpay and then have expectations that simply can't be met. Mm -hmm. I mean, we struggle here at our house to pay over a hundred dollars a hundred and fifty dollars for yeah. a bottle because there are so many bourbons and whiskeys of any sort well below that price mm -hmm. allure's old forester products absolutely yeah. I, I, yeah. I i i like the higher proof i'm a booker's hound booker's is approaching that questionable dollar value mm -hmm. do i continue to want to spend that amount for that bottle Yes, right I now. do, right now, but at some point, is it worth it? Yeah. Anyway, that's, yeah. that's us. Well, I mean, that brings up, so that kind of brings us nicely back to our little Sazerac guy here sitting at just, no, $30. Yeah. 
you yeah. know, so this one is, you know, kind of considered one of the, the good value rise that you can find on the market and from Buffalo Trace. So what do you guys think though of our little Sazerac? I quite like little Sazerac here. The reason why I like him is because, this is gonna sound so weird, he reminds me of a scotch. He actually reminds me of a scotch. And he reminds me particularly of scotch that was done in bourbon barrels. Yeah, many like, scotches like, are aged in bourbon barrels. Yeah, it's like the old pepper. It's the one I like. That oh, you're talking about like. you're talking about the American single malt. Thank you. Yes, yes. it's the one that I like, and it, it's because I've said it before. I could actually become a Scotch fan, and a not a non-peated. So you uh, mean the American? The, you mean the probably. the single malts then? Just yeah, the single I malts. could because because they contain a lot of earth in them. There's a Scotch element that kind of reminds me of the aroma of books. You I don't know. know. Like, oh there's goodness. a name for it. There's a name. It's like a biblio. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. I once wrote it down. You'll find it in some of my reviews on the website. You'll find it, that word in some of my reviews because I do put it down. When you just go into a library and you're just in there and you smell the books, it's you feel at home. Yeah. You feel something. I don't usually like to stay in libraries because they're too quiet. I prefer areas where there's a little bit of chatter that I can just shut out and tune out. Libraries are a little too quiet for me, but the smell of libraries I really, really love. Yeah. And I get that in Scotch. I get that in this. Sazerac has like that book element, and I don't know. It does. It does. It does. I don't know the word. No, I I completely agree, and it, it's something that, you know, I like rice more than the rest of you guys do. I drink more rice than the rest of you guys do. So, while my rye palate may not be exhaustive, when I did bring this one up to my nose and did take the first sip of this one, it was very much. This is so bookish like the, the, there's so much you know the old pages are in here and there's like so much let me just sink down into the words and into the old book smell and let me marinate in it i love that and and sazerac rise is a lot like that for me what about you what what's missing from this for me and this is my bourbon brain kicking in is I don't get the traditional sweets, the caramels, the sugars. Yeah, they're very, very, that's why I say yeah. it's like scotch. Yeah, I, I miss that about my whiskey. That said, this is refreshing. It's clean. Mm -hmm. I get your elements of books. It's not peppery, it's not mm. spicy, but yet it's it's there. Yeah. There's, there's something on the palate there. Yeah. It's just earth yeah. for me. Yeah. Earth uh, and leather. Yeah. And old pages. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I, I personally really love that. Um, but now we're going to switch back to bourbon. We're, 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 we're going to wrap up our little <laughs> Buffalo Trace tour with an old friend that we've already 
spoken of before, we've met him before, we're familiar with his kind. We've got the E.H. Taylor small batch. I figured it would be good to wrap up our little tour with a Taylor, seeing as that's kind of where it all started with a Taylor. Loop all the way back, come full circle. So, but let me talk about him a little bit first. Uh, so this is also a Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. This is a small batch. Unlike that first Buffalo Trace that we had, which was a single barrel, this is a small batch. So it's a mix of all of our honey barrels to go into making the small batch category. This one is also believed to be mash bill number one from Buffalo Trace, meaning that it is less than 10% rye, 75% corn, 15% barley. Or thereabouts. Thereabouts. Yeah. Char, we've got a number four char. Barrel entry proof, we've got 125. That's pretty standard. Since this is a bottled and bond product, the age has to be a minimum of four years old, but it can be more. As a bottle and bond, it is 100 proof, also 50% ABV. And we got a price around $40. Yeah. Around $40, 40 this one, 42 thereabouts. This one is the cheapest of the Taylor line. That'll be standard across the board. So what do you guys get out of the nose? for this one. I see smiles from Melora. Yeah, she's been smiling this whole time while I've been talking. Yes, I really, really, really am hoping that the taste is as good as what I'm smelling. Well, what are you smelling? I'm, I'm smelling caramelized hazelnuts that have been drenched in coffee. Wow. wow. Okay. <laughs> I, I love all combinations of that. I'm a, for those of you who don't know, I love my coffee. I love and adore my coffee. <laughs> and this has a bit of a coffee element to it. And like at first I got the caramel and then I got like, oh, there's a little bit of nut in it. There's a little bit, tiny bit of nut, but it's not peanut, not macadamia nut. I think it's like hazelnut. So you're getting, you're picking up the bitter elements. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I like them. I've been getting into bitter coffees. See, I get... Like, I really just love it. I really only get sweet out of this. I get a lot of vanilla. I get... There is a, vanilla in this. I get a lot of cherry. You're, There's a bit of oak in there. Laura's picking up the burnt elements. Yeah. You're picking yeah. up. You're picking up the char. Yeah. The hazelnut is definitely you know the yeah. bitter. Yeah. yeah. I didn't get a whole lot of cherry in this actually. How about just a uh, lot of nutty sweetness? How about dark chocolate? Okay, I get dark chocolate. I could see that. Oh, dark chocolate. Yeah, yeah. With an espresso element. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I might. I might want coffee right now, but it's <laughs> too late. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so what, yeah. what, 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 are you getting anything different than those things? I, I'm going to just say I'm getting everything you guys are getting. <laughs> I never really thought so much that this was a coffee-like drink. To me, it's more on the sweeter sides. Yeah. But I see where you're going, Alora. Yeah. I, again, the influence of other people help us pick out these things. And who knows if that's what we said about this one a few weeks ago when we had it. I think that's really one of the great things about this, that about whiskey as a whole, that 
one experience could differ from the next, which is pretty I cool. I wonder how much I've influenced you to pick up flavors. Maybe. Because I'm very obscure with my flavors. Maybe. Yeah. But a lot of the things that we've mentioned so far kind of come down to... Well, there's been a lot of similarities across the board with a lot of these. So that's, I guess, where we get into the Buffalo Trace funk. You know, we've mentioned cherry. We've mentioned vanilla. There's just certain staples that we've gotten from the nose, from the taste. Buffalo Trace is a fruit-forward product. Yeah. Whatever they're making, I get the fruits. Maybe not so much in the rye, but it's there in everything else. Well, I think even on the rye, there's a dry, almost white wine fruit-like essence to it. With green grapes, you know, sometimes, I, like, I think I've gotten, I, I've gotten pear out of rye. I've gotten peach out of rye. There's a lot of really light fruits that come out of a lot of rice. And I think Sazerac is no exception. So in that way, it does fall into the normal Buffalo Trace realm. Fair enough. Less with the cherries though, which I associate most with Buffalo Trace. Based on the order of this, you know, we started out with our single barrel, we started out with our Weller, then Sazerac, and then the E.H. Taylor. It's a whole it's a whole year. Like each each of these represents a season. Oh, I love that. You got the four seasons here. The first one's summer, because of how refreshing it is. Second one, perhaps fall or winter. Third one, I'd actually put that one as winter. And then this one's more spring I think I don't know I just with nuts like I'm getting so many nuts in this I'm getting so many and I like it mm -hmm. this, this is a very weird thing for me because usually I don't like nuts in any sort of capacity unless they're covered in chocolates where I can't taste them <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a picky eater you can blame that on me being a picky eater no seriously I just this screams growth, and spring is growth. So, Buffalo Trace products to you are almost elemental in their seasonality. If I'm reading yeah. you right, that they're the, yeah, the, the, the that they're that the season that the earth finds a way yeah. to situate itself in here to reflect a season. Yeah. I mean, I'm a very, I'm a classical musician. Like, I'm a musician, but I'm a classical musician. I go off of symphonies and how they're programmed and how, like, concerts are programmed, how uh, movements of symphonies are organized. I go off of that. You're and, foundational. Yeah, yeah. I like there to be an order. I guess my question for you then, Alora, would be, how this then differs from a Heaven Hill product or an Old Forester product? Like, how are those not seasonal? I think 
there's a common theme of, of Buffalo Trace products, and that is like the cherry vanilla elements. I think, see, it's kind of dangerous that you ask me that question because I don't know off the top of my head. Like, I'm, I'm one of those people that has to taste it and then I'd be able to tell you. But if I had to give you an, an answer right now, just depends on the mood of the day. You know, sometimes I'm in the mood for a high proof. Okay, well, my definition of high proof that I like, will genuinely like 24-7 is a 1920 Old Forester. So, but how is, okay, 19, how, how is 1920 not a season? I think it's more situational. Like, if I'm in the mood for what I consider to be high proof and then has a lot of caramel, because I do get a lot of caramel, an old forester, I'd go for that. But if I just am in the mood for something normal, I'll go for either a 1910 or a larceny. It's just something to accompany me at the end of the day is what I really mean. Yeah. So you're looking yeah. at it more as those are treats. Yeah. Where the... I actually, that's a good way to put it because my brain works like it figures out plans but I don't I don't like to think long term because so much can change and that long term so I'm a very situational person I think that things change day to day and that there's little control over what I have in that day play the control that I prepared so I like though the story that you've created that the buffalo trace products can be seasonal can have a time yeah. and and a really unique place to me that reflects the prestige and the history of what this distillery is really all about they've had so yeah. many years century plus two centuries, centuries. you know centuries of practice, of knowing the craft, of developing the craft. I mean, their stamp is on so many of the things that we enjoy today that whenever I have a Buffalo Trace product, perhaps I'm tasting less innovation, though they, they prioritize innovation. They have to as a distillery, as old as they are. I taste more history I was just going to say, we're tasting yeah. history, tasting history in a glass. And I feel like you said that there was a fire and you said that there was a flood. Am I, how wrong am I to say that fire and floods are part of bourbon history? Like well, if you're going to establish a distillery, or it's like nearly 100% probability you're going I, to encounter one. I'll add one more two. to this. Warehouse C was hit by a tornado at one point. Yeah. They have, a, nature they, all they the have a tornado batch. Yeah. You know, the Warehouse C tornado batch was one of the most amazing batches that was ever out there, or so it said, because the barrels got left out in the sunlight because the building had collapsed. And then you've got so many distilleries that are being impacted by the fungus that's growing on the trees that's impacting the barrel production i mean really mother nature has such a punch when it comes to whiskey 
in farm life in general in farm I life think. in general yep. the resilience shown in the glass though between all of the different distilleries is really really unique but at the same time it's the same and that's what's astounding it, to it's me. It's in the yeast. It's in the yeast. It's in, it's in it's in the fortitude of all of these people who are involved. It's in the passion. We've had all of these things. We've talked about, you know, this is this the, these are seasonal products, but they're also so historical. It's really no surprise that Buffalo Trace is actually the most awarded distillery in the world from the line the number of products under their line to you know how we've talked about them all tonight it's really no surprise but as i also mentioned the future innovation that all has to be really important too so i do want to kind of wrap up our little tour here before we get to our final tasting notes on taylor small batch a little bit kind of what's been going on this year with buffalo trace Buffalo Trace has the Old Charter Oak Series. Just in April, they announced their newest one, the Spanish Oak Bourbon. This follows a few other ones, the Chincapin Oak, Mongolian Oak, French Oak, and Canadian Oak Bourbons. The Spanish Oak is a new aging technique, so it's using Spanish Oak over American Oak. It's supposed to make the pour a bit drier than what you'd find with our native oak. Also in April of this year, they announced a peated bourbon. I'm sure that'll be of much more interest to the two of you than it is to me, but had to mention it. A peated, a peated bourbon. This is the 26th release of their experimental collection. They have two experimental warehouses now, Warehouse X and Warehouse P. Um, I'll talk about another one that's coming out of Warehouse P in a little bit. But this peated bourbon is supposed to be a thing. I haven't seen it on the shelf. I haven't I seen either. anything about it. But I thought it'd be interesting to the two of you. It doesn't necessarily change what makes a bourbon a bourbon by law. It just adds a, a little bit of peace. <laughs> to the process where I've just, you know, snuck that guy in there, that piece. All right, Lauren. You got a question. Yeah, I can tell. I have to think. I, what was that scotch that we tried, the Lagavulin? Yes. That was absolute, <laughs> I hated that thing. And it, you, know, you know, the thing is, is I tried. I actually, you I actually legitimately tried to like it. I'm going to piss off a bunch of Americans here. It's kind of like me trying to like apple pie. I just don't. And I am so sad that I don't like it. I'm so sad because I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you taste buds? Because you don't like this. Well, but, scotch you know, is a bit more intense yeah, than an apple pie. Yeah, scotch in your, in I know, your face. I know, but the thing is, is like that one, I legitimately tried to like that one because I was the first one in the family to try a scotch. <laughs> so I'm like, I got to represent these folks here. I got to represent. <laughs> and I just... I just couldn't get into it, and it was peated. It was, and one of the things that I did in order to like it, this sounds so wrong, I got out an espresso-flavored ice cream with dark chocolate chunks. It made it a little bit better for, like, 10 seconds, and then I just <laughs> hated it. 
and it was worse. And I'm yeah. like, Dad, you need to finish I, this. I mean, this you terrible. you you did better than I did. I mean, Scotch. Yeah, I, I know I did. I I, I represented. I, I represented. I, I, the bottle grew on me, and by the time the bottle was gone, I wished I had another bottle. But yeah, yeah but yeah. he hasn't gotten another <laughs> bottle. The thing is, is about that peated bourbon. You know, actually, I think I'd like it. Because there was sweet, that one bottle yeah. of bourbon, that single malt that I yeah. really, really liked. Yeah. Like, you the, have the one. The, the American single malt. Okay, yeah. 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 So we'll, yeah. And, and we'll probably be getting into that here in a little bit, yeah. too. To continue on with some of the other things that Buffalo is, is working on, Daniel Weller, tiny little backstory there, he is the grandfather of William LaRue Weller. Bingo. Bingo. We we <laughs> at this point, if you haven't gotten a bingo, you are a failure at bingo. Who's Daniel Weller is a bit of a trailblazer in the Weller line. In June of just this year, 2023, Buffalo Trace announced that they were going to be doing a new experimental wheat line. Um, this was going to be the Daniel Weller line and it was going to be using different strains of wheat. The first release is done with the emmer wheat. It is an Egyptian grain. The product is going to be a 12-year-old bourbon at 94 proof. So I hear those numbers and I think Elijah Craig, yeah. but um, we've got a weeded bourbon from, above, from Buffalo Trace. I'm very excited. I hope that comes <laughs> over here to Idaho. Love to see it. Love to see that because I, I love Weller products. Continuing on though, just a couple months ago here in September, Buffalo Trace Distillery London was announced. This location, it's the first obviously housing of, of the proper Buffalo Trace housing outside of the United States. No distilling is gonna be done over here as far as I can tell. This is mostly just gonna be a guest experience to share the story, the history of Buffalo Trace as a distillery, as well as create a few unique tasting experiences for bourbon lovers across the pond, which will be pretty cool for them, I am sure. Just save us some over here, okay? England, just save us some. And it's interesting that you point that out because I, I looked up where the Weller family was from, and it says that they're from, like, Oxfordshire and uh, Birminghamshire. So uh -huh. there are English traits in that, so it makes sense. And I think part of the family was also German, too. But they've been established over here so, yeah. since the very early 1700s, so they've had their stamp here. Also announced in September just of this year, a mini bottle collection. These were going to consist of five prohibition whiskeys that had been in circulation at that time. These include Old Stag, Golden Wedding, Three Feathers, Walnut Hill, and George T. Stag Spiritus Frumenti. Fruity Spirit. Yes. Uh, so the <laughs> I had to do it. Um, so uh, proofs on this uh, range from 90 proof. The Walnut Hill would be our 90 proofer, all the way up to a barrel proof with Old Stag sitting at 132.4, which is pretty reminiscent yep. of a Stag Junior or a Stag that yep. we would see today. 
and then just last month here in October of 2023, Warehouse P, uh, like I mentioned just a little bit earlier, our second experimental Warehouse for Buffalo Trace is releasing Eagle Rare 25 year oh my gosh it is the first release that's coming out of warehouse p and it's the oldest iteration of eagle rare there's a 17 year eagle rare that's out there on the market comes around every year uh part of their antique collection, antique collection with their uh william larue weller their george t stag their sazerac 18 which is delicious by the way so eagle rare 25 year don't know the price tag on it. I don't want to know the price tag on it. That would make me sad. I'm not that rich. <laughs> Buffalo Trace is so steeped in its history, but they're so focused on the next step. Yep. On Where are they the going? future. What new things can we try yep. with all of these things? Absolutely fantastic on that regard. But to make the full circle, the actual circle. What do we think though about our, our start of it all, Taylor Small Batch? Where it I all began. It. I love it. This is one that whenever a bottle becomes available to us, we snap it up. I know there was an occasion that I bought a bottle and Hannah bought a bottle and she didn't know I had bought one and I didn't know <laughs> she bought one. Perfectly happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was no, dang it, I could have spent that money on something. It was like, yes, we've got two of them. <laughs> <laughs> I would say personally, if a person can find this, and it is harder to find, but if a person can find this, it's better than plants. Yeah, I would agree. I would. And agree. it's at a better price, generally. Yep. And buy it. Just get it. Yeah. There's cherry. There's oak. There's pepper. There's subtle caramels. There's just a little bit in here for everybody. And it's bottled in bond. 100 proof. 100 proof. <laughs> Pretty solid. Laura, what do you think? I was wondering about the proof because it was higher. I thought it was higher than the others. Nope, our Weller was our uh, highest tonight. Ah, uh, gotcha, gotcha. It didn't feel like that. This one feels like it is, it does pack a bit of a punch. I don't want to see those flavors because I do get them. You still get the coffee? Just a tiny, tiny bit, but it was more found in like the chocolate element. Okay. okay. I can see yeah. that. There's a hint yeah, of bitter here, but it's not anything that is overpowering in any shape or form. No. Nothing about this is overpowering. That's what I really, really value in whiskey is how balanced the flavors are. I don't want to be overwhelmed by one side of the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to be, I consider whiskey to be like a firework of flavors, like a minute long firework over in Idaho. We had that unicorn fountain firework. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's very popular in other states, but that thing lasted like a minute and a half. And it was just like, it was just, Scene after scene after scene after scene. There was a fountain. There were sparkles. There were whistles. There was everything. And I use that analogy for whiskey because I want it to be just like a fireworks show, in which case I could get a whole minute and a half and, and detect different flavors all throughout the, that minute and a half. And this has that long, yeah. warming finish. It has it. It has it. I get, I do get the chocolate. I, I even get 
And you can get a little bit of like the Whopper sort of malt sort of okay. thing. Yeah. There is a little bit of that. I love Whopper candies. Had a bit of those during Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that this is just a well-rounded bourbon. Very, yeah. very pleased. I think this one along with the Weller are the most complex offerings here. No question. But for very, very different reasons. Weller, I think, had a lot more pop-pop going on to it. But with the Taylor, the foundation is so strong. It is so strong. Everything and builds on top yep, of the other. It is like your yeah. most perfectly geometric pyramid that you could want out of a bourbon is that Taylor. The There's Weller is just... Woo, I'm out there. I'm doing this. And I love it for that too. You know, I, I don't have through our little mini tour here, and of course we could do probably a dozen different mini tours of Buffalo Trace with uh, with, with offerings. All yeah. of these are yes. good. There's not a dud. I didn't just talk any of them. Yeah. There, there, there's not a dud in the back. All of them bring something unique to the table. Uh, all four of these are also pretty good price ranges too. Absolutely. MSRP anyway. Mm -hmm. Well, let's move into our fortnight in whiskey. It's been a busy couple of weeks and I'm going to pick a lead story that ties in with Buffalo Trace. Wrangler and Buffalo Trace bourbon take a shot at apparel. I saw this on their website researching this. I didn't click too much into it, but I was so curious. So Contour Brands, which is Wrangler Jeans, and Buffalo Trace have unveiled a limited line of co-branded clothing for men and women. Alora is laughing because she used to sell Wrangler. So many deals with buy two pairs of jeans, get three free or something like that. We would have so many deals. Maybe I need to go over it to, to where you worked and see if I could get some. Yeah. I could be about this. Yeah, yeah. I have no idea when their deals are. Anyway. So they've like... unveiled this limited line of cold branded clothing for men and women. It's a collaborative process that unfolded over the past three years. It allows Wrangler to dive deep into the culture and legacy of spirits. And it will allow them to unlock new product offerings. Now, I'm going to make a little side story to this. Wrangler, just this past winter into spring, signed with Barbie. You know, the Barbie doll movie no, franchise. No, 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 but that's actually brilliant of them, though. That's actually legitimately brilliant. Barbie took over everywhere yes. across the world. That was brilliant. It was brilliant the number marketing. one selling brand of jeans that Wrangler has ever that's had. That's brilliant. I think that's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> it was an opportunity. They took the opportunity. They deserved the rewards from it. Brilliant. Yeah, this collection with Buffalo Trace promotes premium design elements, colors which convey warmth and strength, and denim washes which give an oak-aged look and feel. Okay, so now I'm kind of like, are we going corduroy or gap or what's this? Well, because if we are going any camel tones, I'm going to have to not do it. Okay. So okay. the collection includes jackets, 
that have an interior yeah. flask pocket. Naturally. Okay. Oh my God. We have They're that. Sherpa lined jeans jackets with your corduroy <laughs> collar. Naturally. Okay. Corduroy, there it is. Yep. There it is. It's still wondering. jeans. It's okay. still denim. Okay. They also have a cotton canvas distiller's jacket, also with that interior flask pocket. Yep. You have no idea how many training videos I've watched to cater to all of what you are saying. We have all of these features. So the distiller's like come on, man. This distiller's jacket is available in a color called old fashioned. Naturally. Which is the color of whiskey. Yeah, yeah. That rich amber hue. There's yeah. going to be pullovers. The Sherpa style with in mossy green. Woven so work shirts. I don't work for this store anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Woven work shirts, flannel, also in the mossy green. I kind of think I want one of those. I, you know, I'm actually, I need Go some of these. Go to where things. I work, you'll find it. Yeah. Like, I need some of they these were things. Like huge. Yep. Like 100% cotton indigo western snap shirts graphic tees two styles of aprons that's excessive so you can yeah. be standing by the barbecue grill and not get stuff on you okay and a line of baseball caps you've got a whole that, that that's pretty impressive actually okay. buffalo trace distillery hopes the line will be savored by bourbon lovers and bartenders alike for years to come and this collection is going to retail from 25 bucks to 140. i would imagine the ball caps and aprons are the 25s yeah and that sherpa the sherpa is definitely the 140 dollar 140 100 for sure it's going to be available on the wrangler and buffalo trace website as well as select retailers out of all the clothing companies to branch into whiskey I'm not surprised though. I mean, if Wrangler is one of the biggest denim companies really ever, and the biggest countryside, uh, absolutely, kind of yeah, clothing so in general. Yeah. marketing is really, really crucial for them. And I personally think whoever is in charge of their marketing over there at Wrangler is figuring They're out how fellas. to do the job and do the job right. That's how you do it, in my in my opinion. My next story is a little bit more serious, quite a bit more serious, in okay. fact. U.S. House rejects an amendment defunding impaired driving technology. So the U.S. House uh, just recently, within the last weeks, has uh, rejected an amendment which would have stripped drunk driving technology funds from the Department of Transportation budget. Early November, a gentleman by the name of Thomas Massey, who was a U.S. representative, Republican from Kentucky, introduced an amendment to fiscal year's 2024 House Appropriations Bill to block funding in the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. The funding falls under rulemaking at the Department of Transportation. So what does that mean, though? The funding was for passive impaired driving prevention technology. In 2026, all vehicles are going to have in their makeup something that can detect whether or not a person is drunk. 
In other words, before the vehicles get started, they have to pass tests to make that happen. Whoa. Yes. Well, there's not going to be a lot of people who are happy with that, but honestly, I'm okay with it. Like, I'm okay with it too. I think drunk. that, yeah, yeah. Don't drive drunk people. Yeah. You have to be manually told not to drive drunk. Okay. That means one less idiot on the road. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Honestly. Yeah. I'm okay with that. So the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States, which is referenced as discus, has applauded the preservation of the impaired driving prevention. Discus called Massey's amendment highly misguided. So His amendment did not pass. 2026 vehicles do not have to have this technology. 2026 will have the technology. So Massey is saying that they should or that they shouldn't they have should it? should not have it. So he was against it. I'm honestly, seriously okay for this amendment. Yes. I think seriously, I am. Uh, yeah, I think I think we should have protect exactly. Yeah, I, yeah. Discus notes. Discus notes that impaired driving crashes are 100% preventable. I agree. Technology yeah. and tools. Don't be an idiot. Yes. Technology and tools saves lives and increases safety on roads. The number of people killed in DUI crashes in recent years has been increasing. Things have been turbulent. I mean, Especially with drive-it-yourself yeah. cars. Yeah. I've heard several stories from my current co-workers about how they have personally seen inattentive drivers in the backseat of self-driving vehicles. Yep. Yeah. I know. It, That's it's so crazy. Scary. And they've yeah. seen that yeah. on the roads. They've looked over and there's not been a person in the driver's seat. I can't. It's terrifying. The to me. Insurance yeah. Institute of Highway Safety, responsibility.org, estimates that when this is implemented, impaired driving prevention technology could save more than 10,000 lives a year. And is that just in the United States? That's just in the United States. So it could be something that other countries implement in the future. Yep. For their Should own they public. choose to yeah. employ these techniques? It's like, is it only made for American? So exactly. far, it seems that way. Yeah, this is but, just a U.S. thing. Yeah. You know, pilot, so, essentially, yep. for the rest of the world. Gotcha. So Discus yeah. and Responsibility.org have uh, committed to work with all the stakeholders in the rulemaking process until it becomes law. I mean, this is this is important. Yeah, I think so. And then lastly, I'm going to tie up Hannah's little story nice and neat. Buffalo Trace releases its oldest eagle rare ever. At 25 years. Yes. Add another whiskey Ooh. to the list of bourbons most of us will never get to try. Well, that, I didn't need you to rub that in. I didn't mention that at all in any of my, any of my talks. Well, Buffalo and Trace has once again setting the benchmark for luxury bourbon. With its release of Eagle Rare 25, it is, as Hannah suggested, the oldest expression in the Eagle Rare portfolio to date. 
only 200 bottles of Eagle Rare 25 were released earlier this month, November 2023. So did like four four bottles go to each state? Who knows? The 25-year-old bourbon is the first release from Warehouse P, one of Buffalo Trace's two experimental warehouses. The other one being Warehouse X. Where these tests are conducted in a variety of factors. Barrel char levels, temperature, airflow, light, and barrel placement. All of which, of course, impact the aging and maturation of bourbon. So I'm sure that steam is also kind of a question of how it fits in on this no one No doubt, no doubt. Experimentation with aging conditions allows the study for evaporation. More whiskey is lost, especially over time. Mm -hmm. If you've got something aging for 25 years, there can't yeah. be very much yeah. bourbon left in that the That angel's share and that devil's cut, they're cutting deep. They're working on extracting flavors from the barrel. Older whiskeys often become more intense, in many cases over-oaked, astringent, and dry. So this warehouse was designed to control those conditions. Warehouse P was purpose-built to test the aging and maturation processes. Conventional wisdom says optimal age for bourbon is around 12 years. I would agree. In many cases, less. It allows for the creation of 25-year-old bourbon, which, believe it or not, they've worked on reducing evaporation and highlights the more desirable flavors in the barrel. Eagle Rare 25 was closely monitored throughout the aging process. We'll see what happens. It's going to be bottled at 50.5 ABV or 101 proof. Anna, plug oh, your ears. Plug your ears. I'm looking away. Okay. Just, okay. Oh, oh I saw the number. Everybody <laughs> plug your ears. It's not just me. $10,000 oh. a bottle. No way. $10,000 a bottle. You're going to have no. to go to Wheel of Fortune, everybody. No. <laughs> it's going to be released globally to select retailers and restaurants and bars. So basically one per country. Maybe. Yeah, it's probably out of your budget. Each well, hand it's blown... Out of my, it's out of my city, Dad. It's out of my city. <laughs> it might be out of your state. <laughs> out of your region. Out of your... Yeah. Each hand-blown crystal decanter is encased by a hand-hammered sterling silver wing. Now... All what, that being Buffalo said, Wild Wings yeah, now? What is this? I don't know. Here's it's my thoughts. Except for Buffalo Trace. Yeah, here's my thoughts. While we'll never get to have this, and, I, and I've already convinced, I'm not going to get to have this. My you personal thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my personal thoughts here Eagle Rare 25 will never pass my lips. However, they didn't build this warehouse just for this bourbon. Continued experimentation will lead to other longer aged and likely more readily available products. It might be that at some point we could see a Buffalo Trace with an age statement of eight years or nine years or 15 years, or we could see more of the Eagle Rare 17 year 
or we could see more of the Weller line with age statements. Yeah. Which one you'd be happy with. Yeah. Absolutely. I, that, that, that is true. And I, I think that's certainly a good thing to, to point out that with so many things and not just in the whiskey world, a new technology is invented and it is priced absurdly. Absolutely. And then eventually we work our way down to it being accessible to many, many more people in the market. Products. Yeah, all products. Yep. Whether you're talking tech or whether you're talking whiskey or whether you're talking yeah. cars or whatever it is. That's something that's pretty widespread everywhere. Yeah. That's just how basic economy yeah. works. Yeah. yeah. So as always, look for links to these stories and many others on our website podcast page. So folks, thank you for listening in. Thank you to Hannah for doing the research. This was a great show. I know I certainly learned a lot doing this. As I mentioned before, Buffalo Trace Distillery really is probably my favorite distillery out of all of the ones that I've tried. Not to say that there aren't top fivers or top teners in any other distillery, but the distillery that I always keep coming back to is Buffalo Trace, and we only got to try four here. Maybe one day we'll be able to loop back around to Buffalo again and have a different set of four. Maybe we'll have an Eagle Rare 17 <laughs> or an Eagle Rare whatever. Either way, it's it's been a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to me ramble about the history of all these things. It was really cool. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think so. Um, so, but let's talk a little bit about what we've got going on. So here you go, Laura. In two weeks, we are going to do a whole podcast on American single malt. I have been researching. This is an amazing story. It's new. It is the biggest thing in whiskey that's come along since who knows when. And I say new, the first American single malt came about the year Hannah was born. 94? Yes. You know, I like being classified as new. That's pretty neat. I'll take that. <laughs> so, Laura will definitely enjoy that one. Yes. She likes those single malts. I had American one last night. Malts. Alora, that you are going to love. Yeah, it, even They're I. Going to be even, for when I come home. Yeah, even yeah. even I really love this one. So, so it's that'll amazing. be exciting. Exciting. After that, we'll do our live stream, hoping to make that a call-in show, uh, essentially an open mic night. And this and next episode when we do our American single malt, we're gonna have some details on that. I'm envisioning having four or five guests of folks that listen to our show. I'll send out links and we'll just sit down and we'll just have an open session where we can just ramble. We're going to ramble. Out. We're going to have some good stuff. We'll pour some good stuff. They'll pour some good stuff. Come join us for that. And we'll just have a live show together but apart. Yeah. I like that. Together yep. but apart. Yeah. That's good. Okay. We'll be doing another educational whiskey history thing. Dad really loved doing that the first time around. First season. We are looking forward to hearing what he has to say again next season. And then we will be finishing up our series. 
with our listener's pick. Be looking for more details on that and what whiskeys we will be potentially doing and having you choosing from to have a sit down and review for the first time ever. Girls, I've had a blast. This is going to be a great, great podcast. Our longest ever. Yeah, sorry everyone. Oh yeah? I'm, yeah. A I'm a bit of a talker. We had a lot of fun doing it. Hannah has put together some stuff that, frankly, I got to learn. I have noticed that this season has been nothing but a historical reference. <laughs> Every episode we've talked a little bit about history in one form or another. That's, that's cool. That's our that's our personal self. We're gonna wrap this one up as we do every episode. We enjoy having you along. We're gonna do a little cheers with our glass and thanks everybody. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.